You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw to a looking. Flips it downfield wide open. <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill. Unbelievable. Just flew by him for a second time. Doing knew where he was going right away. How the hell is that, little man? What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, we continue our look ahead to Sunday in Los Angeles as we do our final notes on the Dolphins and Chargers. Plus, we'll hear from Chargers play-by-play man Matt Money-Smith. A new segment, my Thursday narrative debuts with a look at Coach Daryl Bevel and what he has meant to the offense since his arrival. And of course, the season kicks off tonight in Kansas City. That means Picks is back. We'll be talking about the week that is around the National Football League from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Who out there remembers the show Pardon the Interruption? Is it still going? I don't know if it is. But man, that show was an institution before content became what it was, especially in my high school days. And it aired at 2.30 Pacific time. And my high school let out at 2.10. So in the fall, when I didn't have an after-school sport, it was a race to get home to watch it every single day in the pre-DVR and TiVo days. But they had a segment at the end of the show called Errors and Omissions, where Stat Boy, the great Tony Reale, would rattle off the things the host missed throughout the course of the show. I want to do that on my Thursday podcast, taking a look at what maybe I left out of the Wednesday preview podcast. And with that, I'm looking at this research packet from the wonderful folks at NFL Research. And the numbers are, you often forget how efficient this offense was last year because I guess of the narratives out there about all the tired talking points we cover every single off season. And once you get to this point of the calendar, it seems like every topic has been beaten to a pulp. And then you just kind of wind up getting to the other side of your original thoughts and, and, and I guess predictions. And I was talking to someone earlier today about how the Dolphins are like out of everybody's playoff predictions. But four months ago, they were talked about as a Super Bowl team. Now, I will give credit to those guys that still, you know, stuck with what they saw happen this offseason and didn't get their narrative shaped by maybe hard knocks, maybe what happened in a preseason game where no one actually played. You know, Seth Walder from ESPN picked Dolphins over Eagles in his uh, season predictions this year. So looking at this packet, the Dolphins were eighth last year in passing EPA, and when two was on the field, they're number one in that ca- in that category. And look, I-, I know the offensive line is a point of contention for so many, but I always point back to this: whether it's individuals winning their matchups, scheme doing its job, or two was quick release. As much as this offensive line takes crap from every single direction, it seems they were 15th last year in pressure rate. Not great, but better than more than half the league. Some more details from that packet. A lot of opposite end of spectrum stuff. The Dolphins were first in pre-snap motion a season ago. Chargers 25th. We were second in play action ran. They were 12th. Not quite opposite, but a lot more from Miami. And I will say this, though. Their offensive metrics can probably go out the window because it is a new system, new offensive coordinator. 
But on the other side of the ball, we do know that Staley learned under Fangio. So there is some good information there about what maybe the Chargers will do and maybe what the Miami Dolphins will do on their defensive side of the football. Last year, nobody played more single high than us. That's one safety in the middle of the field. And we were also third in the league in man coverage rate at 43%, despite the fact, once again, that the personnel to me just did not match for man coverage that often. But the Chargers played single high the ninth least last year. I think you'll probably see more of a number close to that for Miami this season. But they did play man coverage at the seventh highest rate, which is interesting to me because they had the eighth ranked blitz percentage, just 18th in pressure rate, which is a problem in itself. Because traditionally, those haven't been the staples, the blitz rate and the man coverage rate of a Vic Fangio defense. But it's a nice reminder that while you have your core principles, coaches tend to construct and tailor things around what they have in their personnel. I think it's an indicator that you could get a good dose of man coverage on Sunday because that's kind of how they remade their, their defense a season ago, beginning in that Miami game in early December, and their late-season surge was built around the defense playing better football because the offense wasn't that great last year for the Chargers. And then J.C. Jackson coming back, he was always a man corner up in New England. So interesting stuff there. I'm very curious to see what both teams look like. That's why I haven't been too, uh, I haven't harped too much on what I think is going to the, the game will look like from a schematic standpoint because we just don't really know. But the Chargers were 31st in rushing EPA allowed last year, and that's kind of what they, if that's what they are again this year, there's no guarantee they will be, then you hope that Miami can find some success in the ground game. In fact, Arjun Menon is a former analytics guy for the Jets, and now he puts his stuff out there on Twitter, and he shared the Chargers allowed last year a rushing EPA off tackle that was the fourth highest for their opponent of all time since EPA became a stat back in the early 2000s, or that's how far back they've tracked it so far. And the Dolphins weren't historical in their success running off tackle, but they were plus 0.2 EPA. That's a cumulative over a rushing attack that was negative 0.4 EPA, which was 18th in the NFL. And that might not sound like a big number, 0.2 obviously, but it's important to note that rushing EPA is way more difficult to rack up than passing because uh, EPA basically tracks how much you influence the potential outcome of a game. And a five-yard rush is great to keep you ahead of the chains, but it's not going to change the outcome of the game as far as the win percentage scope goes. So passing the ball gives you much more uh, EPA opportunity, I guess is a good way to look at that. But with that, in the individual Dolphins and Chargers game last year, it was the complete opposite in terms of running the ball wide. The Dolphins had a negative 0.16 EPA running off tackle and negative 0.7 when running off end. Something has to give there. The Dolphins either find a way to run the ball or the Chargers make a, a turnaround for the run defense. Some more cool notes here from the NFL Research Packet. Tungavailoa and Herbert were the first quarterbacks drafted with back-to-back picks in a draft. This is in the weeds. To both finish top five in passing yards per game since 1941. That sounds like a Bob Euchre stat from the Major League movies. The Dolphins had 62 completions last year of 20-plus yards. That was the third most in the NFL behind KC and Philly. And the Chargers surrendered the sixth most of those throws, 54. Which is also interesting to me because the Chargers and this Fangio-style defense, the entire purpose is to keep the roof on top of the defense and limit big plays and expose the offense to more reps and more potential mistakes they could make on the offensive side. The Dolphins averaged 6.1 yards per play a season ago. That was the second best number in the NFL behind Kansas City. And yards per play, if you go back over the last decade plus, that number is the most consistent with offensive success in terms of predictive models. And I think I did a podcast on that at one point last year when our offense wasn't scoring quite enough. I think it was like after the Steeler game. 
but you can see their yards per play was still top three or four in the league. And sure enough, after that, they go 30 against Detroit, 30 against Chicago, 30 against Cleveland, 30 against Houston. So eventually your points catch up to yards per play. If we're over six yards a play again this season, the offense is going to be dominant. The Chargers also surrender the 10th most yards per pass attempts on throws 10-plus yards downfield, long passes. And Tua led the NFL in these categories on 10-plus yard throws. Completion percentage, 61.9%. Yards per attempt, 13.9. And a 125 passer rating on such throws. Some cool stats. We'll do this every single week here on the podcast. We'll also hear from a prominent member of the opposition's local media every single week. And that's where we turn our attention to now, my interview with the great Matt Money Smith from the Chargers radio broadcast. And joining us here on the podcast today, he is the play-by-play man for the Los Angeles Chargers. He'll take you home in LA on Petros and Money on 570 AM LA Sports and the former voice of God on the Around the NFL podcast, Matt Money Smith. Money, welcome in, my friend. Thanks for having me, Travis. Looking forward to this one. What a uh, what an awesome game to, to start the season between these two teams that a, a lot of people are expecting big things from. I was saying on the podcast the other day that I think that this might be the game, maybe Sands, uh, Buffalo, and New York on Monday night, that I think either team who wins will come away feeling the best about themselves after week one. Would you agree with that? Well, I just I feel like going back to – well, look, I think two of them are similar in that they are in divisions that – for the Chargers certainly have been dominated by other teams. You know, I think some could make the case that Miami's roster top to bottom is better than Buffalo's, but when you have Josh Allen, that sort of changes the calculus. So I think they're both trying to knock off a heavyweight in the top of their division. Um, And I think there's scar tissue from last year in this game for the Dolphins. And believe it or not, I think even for, for Brandon Staley and to, to kind of remind people or to prove himself that no, that wasn't fluky. What the defense did in back-to-back weeks against San Francisco and Miami when they were decimated by injury, I think, you know, coming off a 27 and nothing lead and losing a playoff game, uh, you know, by allowing 31 points essentially in the second half and right there at the end of the first half, like he's out to prove something. I think Mike McDaniel and Tua and the offense is out to prove something about how it went last year. So I just think there's so many things that go into this game that make it, you know, a lot bigger than just a regular season contest between the Dolphins and the Chargers. 100% agree. In my game preview podcast the previous day, I I talked about the storylines, and I had to just kind of stop at a certain point because there were so many, whether it's Fangio and Staley and Ronaldo Hill and Tua. It is up and down the list, storyline after storyline. But I wanted to go to you for some more Chargers perspective and expertise here because, you know, again, we have the tape of these teams matching up nine months ago, but so much changes week to week in the NFL, not to mention, you know, year to year. If you could, in one answer, kind of summarize the Chargers training camp this summer, how would you do that? What were the takeaways, some of the stars of camp, surprises, whatever you got money from Chargers camp, go ahead and lay it on us. Well, I'd probably start, and it's it's a boring answer, Travis, but <laughs> with health. You know, this yeah. is a team that was wrecked last year. And so, you kind of forgot how talented it was because of how the season ended and how few players were were out there at the end of it all. And to to go into training camp and to watch Rashawn Slater, who was an all pro his rookie year, uh, the second year of Zion Johnson, who's now moved back to where he played at Boston College for four years, left guard and Corey Lindsley, who missed a chunk of time last year as well to see those three operate together especially in the joint practices against a very good Saints defensive line and just stone them, you know, snap in and snap out. That's one of the first things that jumped out at me. And man, talk about a test in week one to, to, to watch Slater, whether it's going to be Phillips or, or Chubb, 
I can't wait for that. Um, so the second thing is just how many more downfield throws we were watching from this offense. And, and I don't think it's fair to pile on Joe Lombardi. Like a lot of people are, I, a lot of that was a product of injury last year. And the fact that he lost his left tackle, um, didn't have his, you know, Justin didn't have his center. He had fractured rib cartilage in week two. Like the ball was coming out early for a reason, but it just looks different. It looks like those shots are there and a lot of it's health again, you know, again, not, not, not exciting, but to have Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Josh Palmer, another first round pick Quentin Johnson out there. looks like this, this could be an explosive offense, but even beyond that um, is the running game. You know, they just, they never had a, a signature run. It, it really in the last two years, you never felt like there was a bread and butter. Now they could run behind that left side of the line two years ago when Slater was an all pro and it was effective. And, and Austin would, would, you know, kind of bite off four and a half, five and a half yards per carry when he ran that direction, but it just looks different. It looks like, okay, I can see where this is going. Um, and it just looks, it looks better. It looks different. So that's offensively, defensively, you know, this is just me relaying what a lot of the players said, and that's just how much of a difference they believe Eric Kendricks is going to make mm -hmm. and in coordinating the defense on the field from players, you know, that's wearing the green dot and and how important it is to have everybody in their same place and know exactly what their assignment is, snap in and snap out, because you know it full well having Vic Fangio there now. Uh, it's a complicated defense, and a lot of pieces, specifically on the back end, have to be in the right places for it to be executed just right, and they really feel like Eric Kendricks is going to make a big difference there. Coming back to where it all began for him in college at UCLA there back in Los Angeles to play for the Chargers and money. My next question was going to be how the offense looks different under Kellen Moore, but you kind of already addressed that. So I guess I'll follow up and, and kind of continue that theme of Kellen Moore. And you mentioned the players talking about the defensive system and Eric Hendricks kind of helping be the conduit between coach and player on that side of the ball. What are the guys saying about Kellen Moore? Because this is a guy that uh, I don't know if you know this money, but I grew up in the Pacific Northwest and Kellen Moore played his high school ball at a small town in Prosser, Washington, about 20 minutes uh, north of where I live. So he's a, a local star up there, took his talents to Boise, where he was one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time. Big fan of, of him as a player and a coach. Just some of the returns on Kellen Moore and what some of the guys are saying about him so far in year one here. He's the best man. He's such a good dude. And his, his dad, you know, moved down here with him and to be around his dad, who's, as you know, you know, high school football coach, it's just a look, they're football dorks, you know, both he yeah. and Justin Herbert, they just are. And you watch him geek out at, at practice and at training camp. And look, I, I mean, you know, this, you just said it, you grew up there. Pacific Northwest people are just different. It's a different lifestyle. Um, and I think there's a, a very special connection between those two that they get it. They get each other. Um, you know, they are like uh, Daniel Jeremiah, who I do the games with, was up in Idaho. And he's like, you have no idea how big the Chargers are in Idaho now. Really? He's like, I'm walking around Coeur d'Alene and there's people in Herbert jerseys and Chargers caps because Kellen Moore is there. <laughs> like, that's how big of a deal it is. Um, so you, to have Herbert from Eugene, Kellen from you know, from Washington and playing his game, his, his football at, at Boise state. Like it's a, there's, there's a connection there is what I'm getting at. Um, but I do think as, as special as that connection is, um, what I think the biggest difference in this offense with, with Kellen Moore is going to be is the run game. Just the run, just like I said, it just never, it never felt like it was working it, when they, especially when they needed it in that Jacksonville game, a perfect example, when they needed the four minute drill, they rushed seven times for four yards. They just couldn't get it right. It seemed like every the defense knew exactly what was coming every time they lined up in a formation that we knew what was coming. And I think you're going to see a big difference in that 
this year. When, you know, whether you want to call it, you know, wide or outside zone, whatever it is, it worked in the preseason, man. It worked as a thing of beauty. And I know it's hard to take any, I, I never want to take anything too much away from the exhibition season, but just kind of having watched the run game the last few years and then watch it, watching it this year, it seems like that is a big, big difference. And that's just going to help those play action, you know, shot plays that, that we know they have the personnel for and, and Herbert certainly has the arm for. It's almost like you're holding up a mirror to the Dolphins right now, because I would say going back to, you know, last year and, and Kellen Moore and Mike McDaniel kind of fall into that offensive young genius category that so many teams covet right now. And, and all teams that don't have it, wish they had. And they both, I guess more is different because he wasn't there in Los Angeles, but for Mike, you know, he was saying that he wished he did run the football more last year. And, and these offenses that do have all these playmakers in the perimeter at the receiver position. So it should be a fascinating matchup to see who can uh, get more execution in the ground game to follow up off that first question game. When you mentioned the defensive side of the ball, you mentioned Eric Hendricks. Again, I'm a I'm a WSU guy, uh, money. So Dayon Henley's my my guy. I love that dude. Um, but returning pieces as well from injury, like you mentioned, J.C. Jackson coming back never really got going last year uh, before the injury. But a, a loaded group from a talent perspective. How do you think they'll make things challenging in opposing offenses this year? Well, I'll start with you know where you started in, in Wazoo and Dayon, and unfortunately he's got a hammy. I don't know if he's going to play. That dude's going to make an impact as a rookie, he will make an impact this year. It'll definitely be on special teams, but he's going to get, he's going to get in the rotation. He's going to get defensive snaps. He, if he was the best, he was the best player on either side of the ball, save Zion Johnson, uh, the, the left guard um, in the preseason. Wow. He's just, and you know it, cause you saw it. Yeah. Like <laughs> he is so explosive. I mean, he is so fast in that body that's now a legit 225 pounds, you know, as kind of that hybrid safety linebacker. I think you might see him at star. I, I would not be surprised if you see him in the slot. I wouldn't be surprised if you see him creeping up on the line of scrimmage. Like, to me, he's got that sort of, and I know it's high praise, and I don't mean to sound like a, you know, a, a Chargers a homer or whatever, because I call the games, but he's just got that Derwin James look where you can envision him playing any position. Like I could see Derwin play outside corner, slot corner, high safety, box safety, linebacker. Like, you know, that's what Dayon reminds me of where you can put him up high. If you want to, you can have him as a box safety. So he's going to be an important piece. I think he's going to be an important piece. Um, look, Derwin James was an all pro his rookie season. I'm not saying that's what Dayon is, but I do think, he is going, it's going to be interesting to see if Kenneth Murray can finally realize all that potential that he has physically that just hasn't quite come together. And a lot of people have talked about how Eric Hendricks has helped him out um, a lot. And they're expecting big things from, from Kenneth because he got his fifth year option declined. He's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. And I mean, you see this, right? When you're around the Dolphins, there's certain players that when they're, when they're walking around, and I would imagine Jalen Phillips is like this. Like when you see him walking around, you're like, my God, what is that? Yeah. You know, that's Kenneth Murray. Like when you see him walking and then you see how fast he moves on the football field, you're like, that's just not, that, that should be illegal. Like that, that's going to kill somebody, but it just hasn't quite come together for him. So that's, that's going to be um, an important part. And I think just having this defense healthy, I even forgot where you were going with it. I'm sorry. You mentioned Dayon, and I got all excited because it was so fun to, to watch him out there. Um, but I think, you know, oh, J.C. Jackson, right. So that's, remember how this game was played last year, right? It was actually the rookie, Jossier Taylor, that was just impressed man on Jalen Waddle on every snap. So if you can turn that into J.C. Jackson, we know he's one of the best press man corners out there. He's very physical at the snap. Mikey Davis is a legit 6'2", 205 pounds. To, to be able to have the full complement of weapons, 
um, to hopefully be able to do what they did last year. I don't expect it to be that way. You know, Mike, like you mentioned, Mike McDaniel's way too good of a, an OC and or of a, of a play caller as a head coach to, to, to do the same thing he did last year, but that goes a long way, right. And trying to disrupt the timing and try to get physical at the line of scrimmage. So if JC's out there, I think that's going to go a long way. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Smith, he's at the Chargers radio play-by-play man here, joining us on the Drive Time podcast today. And, and Matt, a few teams do this every year, and I find it so fascinating to to play or to not play starters in the preseason. And the Chargers are a team from the latter category. They don't play their starters in the preseason at all. What's the thought process behind that, do you think? And, and how do you think they handle their prep without getting those live game reps? Yeah, I don't, you know, look, I, I don't necessarily think I would subscribe to it. If I were a head coach, I'd probably play the guys. It just, you know, they can get hurt on the first series of the first regular season game. (laughs) Now there's, uh, you know, to, to use the same term, I'm probably sound like a broken record to people listening, but there's a lot of scar tissue there with injuries in the chargers that they have not been able to stay healthy. Um, It has been a rough go in really the entire seven years that they've been here. They've had at least one major injury every single season. And considering how things went last year in losing JC and Joey and Slater and only having Mike Williams and and Keenan Allen out there for 138 snaps um, or 138 dropbacks, like I get it. I, I get that you want to, if you're going to put them in harm's way, let's make sure it's in a game that counts. So I think that's one part of it. The other part I also think is, they're they're a balanced team, much like the Dolphins are a balanced team. When you practice again, when this offense practices against this defense, you are practicing against what they believe are an elite unit in the NFL. And so you're going to have iron sharpens iron in your practices. And you don't necessarily need to go out in the preseason and face the backups for New Orleans uh, in order to to get yourself ready for a regular season game against the Dolphins. You're you know, they love the joint practices. They went hard in those joint practices against a very talented Saints team. And they felt like they get more out of that than they do playing their starters in a, in a regular season game. So, I mean, I'm sorry, in a preseason game. So that's the thought process behind it. If it were me, I'm a little more in the Mike Tomlin, you know, kind of category, which I believe he stole the saying from Bill Parcells, which is, you know, it, it's hard to to win a boxing match if you don't spar. So I think that's how I do it, but I understand it. And, and I, you know, like I said, I think both the dolphins and the chargers are fortunate that they're very talented on both sides of the ball. And these, you know, in practice every day, you're going against an elite offense versus an elite defense. Yeah. That's the entire job, right? Give and take and trying to find the pros and cons to the multiple decisions you make every single day as a head coach money. We end these chats every single way uh, on the the crossover uh, opponent beat writer or radio man, whatever it might be here, podcast here on drive time. And I always ask the chargers will win the game. If, and the dolphins will win the game. If like, what are your keys for victory for both teams here on Sunday? Well, I think, um, chargers win the game, uh, two things. One, I think 
prevent explosive plays. Obviously, you're playing the Dolphins, right? Um, but that, but beyond beyond Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and and how good this offense was at being explosive, it was just a team that that the statistics can be a little misleading um, because it wasn't like down in and down out. They were terrible against the run. They would just miss assignments and teams would rip off 60 yard runs and 40 yard runs. And like, that's what so much of their, their issue was on defense last year. They'd be given up third. They'd be like third and 19 and a missed assignment would allow that to be converted far too often. So they've got, you know, when they've got a team behind the sticks, they got to cash that in on third down and prevent those explosives because I think they gave up more explosive runs than any team in the league last year. The second thing would be, they got to win the third quarter. Like they, they have had far, this was in the game last year against the dolphins, right? Yeah. They they're smoking the dolphins. And next thing you know, you're like, Holy cow, they could lose this game. You know, they game, let, yeah. yeah. They let teams back in way too much last year. So that's, that's the charger side dolphins just run the ball, man. Like I was so surprised last year. And, and like you said, Mike McDaniel acknowledged it. It's like, man, you've got, this is a team that's given up explosives and you got one of the fastest players in the NFL and Raheem and, and Jeff Wilson, we know how explosive he is. Like I expect them to come out and test to see if what I just said is true. If, if, if this defense is fixed against the run, um, because once you get that thing going, now you're talking about shot plays or opening up because they got to commit resources to try to slow that thing down. So I think if they're effective running the ball, it's, it, it could end up being a long day for the chargers. Uh, second, is, you know, Vic, Vic Fangio when he was with the Broncos and, you know, they had good pieces on defense. You know, a couple of those games he gave Herbert fits. And I think if if Coach is as good as we all know he is and, and this roster is as talented as it is on that side of the ball, um, that'd be the other thing. Is, is, is it one of those Vic Fangio games that we've seen when he was with Denver that frustrates Justin Herbert? Um, so that's, I think that's, I think that sounds about right. Yeah, I think you covered it pretty well there. It's one of the best games on the schedule this weekend. He's one of the best play-by-play guys in the entire business. You can find him on the call for those Chargers games on Petros and Money and on social at Matt Money Smith. Matt, thank you again for your time, sir. I really, really appreciate it. You got it, Travis. Looking forward to this one. And there he goes, the great Matt Money Smith. I was telling him before we got on the podcast or on the air how much I loved his previous sound drops on the Around the NFL podcast, the voice of God, as it were, on that show. Doesn't do it anymore, but I miss him in that capacity. Either way, one of the best play-by-play guys in the country and has, in my opinion, the best um, color commentators in Daniel Jeremiah in that booth. So I know you're not going to listen to Chargers Radio on the game on Sunday, but it's a pretty good booth they have out there in Los Angeles. We have a football game tonight. The Chiefs hosting the Lions for Thursday night football kickoff. I'm going to enact my old man habit of getting a Dairy Queen blizzard and watching the game. Um, not by myself. I have a couple of buddies coming over for tonight for the first time in a long time. Caroline and Cameron looking forward to that as well. But let's go ahead and pick these games this week. Uh, last year, I was 189 and 80 and 2. Two ties on the NFL schedule, also one fewer game because the Bengals and Bills were canceled. On the podcast, we've been doing this for, this is the third year we'll pick the games, every single game. So the two-year cumulative record, 377 wins, 163 losses, three ties. And I didn't put the percentage up, so I'm going to do some live math for you guys right now on the air. 377 plus 163 is 540. 377 divided by 540. That is a 69.8 win percentage. If you round up, that's 70%. That's the goal, baby. So we're hoping to hit 70% this year. Why don't we go ahead and up the ante? Let's try to get better because if you're not getting better, you're getting worse, even though you can't get the exact same, which just makes the whole saying pointless. But let's try to get 70, 
Let's aim for 72 this year, the perfect team, right? 72% is the goal this year. How many wins would that be? 192 or three? Who cares? Week one, uh, Chiefs and Lions. This one really conflicts me because I I don't want to pick against Kansas City because I think Andy Reid coming off of any additional time to prepare is impossible to beat, evidenced by Patrick Mahomes' week one numbers that are basically the greatest numbers of all time. I also don't like Jared Goff on the road. I think it's been an issue for his entire career, even if it's going to be a nice sweltering night in the Midwest. And no Chris Jones means I think the Lions offensive line is going to whoop the Chiefs butt in the trenches, maybe run the ball successfully. I think the absence of Travis Kelsey is massive, even as good as Mahomes is. But all that said, I'm not going against the def- the defending world champions in their building. I think the only time going back to maybe the Ravens and Broncos game that they flipped the, uh, they put the game in Baltimore, despite the fact that Denver, no, reverse that. I was in Denver, despite the fact that Baltimore had won the Super Bowl because there was like an Orioles game or something and they flipped it. And then the the Peyton Manning led Broncos through like six touchdowns in that game and beat them. But I think after that, the only road team to win the opener was the Alex Smith led Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes' rookie year on the road in Foxborough when Kareem Hunt had that like 75 yard touchdown catch. So I'm going to take the chalk and take the team raising the banner. Give me the Chiefs in the opener. Atlanta and Carolina. Carolina's awfully banged up. I also just don't really believe in their offensive operation at this point, and I cannot wait to watch the Falcons do their thing and run the football over and over and over again. I think they're going to have a kind of tightened south there under Arthur Smith. Give me Atlanta. Give me the Browns to continue upsetting the Cincinnati Bengals. They seem to have their number for whatever reason. Um, I don't believe in their quarterback. I don't want to believe in their quarterback, but I think in this instance, Joe Burrow coming off the calf that robbed him of the entire preseason and training camp might be out to a slow start like he had last year, four picks in the opener. Give me the Browns over the Bengals. I'll take the Jags over the Colts. I, I just probably won't pick the Colts a whole lot this year, even though I love their quarterback. I just think that entire operation's uh, not great. Um, the Vikings over the Bucks. I'm not going to pick the Bucks to win many games this year. I think it was four in total. And where is that game? I think it's in Tampa. Either way, give me the Vikings to get a win with uh, Kirk Cousins over Baker Mayfield. Titans and Saints. Not many of these games really like, I mean, week one's tough to talk about impact games in terms of your playoff standing, but there's just not really many games where it's, you look at it like, oh, that AFC team has to lose for us. Like, there's not a lot of like scoreboard watching, I think, this week. But give me the Titans over the Saints. Uh, even though it's in New Orleans, I think that people are sleeping on the Titans this year. They're healthy right now. Their offensive line's not great, but Ryan Tannehill has literally never had a good offensive line except for like the one year they went to the AFC Championship game. I think that he'll find a connection with uh, DeAndre Hopkins. I think Derrick Henry has a chance to get some good uh, push in this game and some good totals. I'll take the Titans to win on the road in New Orleans. This is the one that I, I'm, I think I'll probably watch in the morning. This one and Cleveland versus Cincy. Give me the Niners over the Steelers on the road. That everyone's buying the Steelers hype right now. I'm just not seeing it as much. I like their defense. I like their weapons on offense and their offensive line. But we'll see about Kenny Pickett. A good preseason does not get me as excited about a quarterback as it does some other folks. Give me the Niners to continue doing what they do and win football games. I'll take Washington over Arizona. I'm not going to pick the Cardinals one time this year. I think Washington's going to be a surprise playoff team. That one's easy. Baltimore over Houston. Houston has some issues at tackle right now. Their offensive line's awfully banged up, and the Ravens, I think, are going to come out and kind of set the league on fire this year. Give me Green Bay over Chicago. I know Aaron Rodgers owned the Bears, but I think Jordan Love is going to pick up where Rodgers was not very good last year and play even better than what Rodgers was a season ago. 
Also, I think we're a year early on Bears hype after a crazy offseason full of spending for them. Give me the Eagles over the Patriots, although I think that could be a little bit closer than maybe some folks think. Uh, I saw a great tweet from Brett Coleman. The, the You guys know who he is. Uh, talking about how the Eagles' worst offensive game last year was against the Colts, and they cover one package they deployed that kind of stifled that Eagles' offense. Well, no one runs cover one better than Bill Belichick, but still give me the Eagles in Tom Brady or on Tom Brady Day, I should say, in New England. Seahawks over the Rams. Um, I wanted to pick the Rams to upset them here because those two teams seem to always play really close games, but because it's in Seattle, I'm going to go ahead and take the team that I think is much better in this one. Denver over the Raiders. This is a coin flip to me, but give me the Broncos because it's in mile high and the Broncos record in September when teams have not had a chance to adjust to, you know, full conditioning going up into that altitude and playing is very difficult. I honestly, I'm very 50, 50 on dolphins and chargers. Um, if you told me we had a healthy Jalen Ramsey and a fully healthy Teron Armstead, I would take Miami. Uh, I still actually am going to take them because I just think that we are going to outcoach them and uh, think our quarterbacks and outplay their quarterback. Give me the Dolphins over the Chargers, although I'm not as convicted as I usually am on those picks. Give me the uh, Cowboys over the Giants. I, one of these teams I think is going to go to the Super Bowl this year. The other one I think is going to disappoint in terms of what their their record was a season ago. I'll take the Cowboys in prime time. And then the Bills over the Jets, speaking of overhype, I'm just not buying it. I think I maybe have undersold it a little bit. I think the Jets could still win 8, 9, 10 games, but I think their opening start is going to be critical, and I don't think it's going to go off well for them like they had hoped it would to kick the season off because I, I just I, – I, I don't know, man. Like that, that offense has so many holes right now, and I, we don't hear about it. I know, like, you know, Joey Jets loves telling you how Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook's the best backfield in the NFL. Like, pounce down with that stuff, man. Josh Allen is still Josh Allen. That defense is healthy again. Sean McDermott's a great coach. Give me Buffalo over the Jets. And I, I hope they do spoil that opener because I didn't want that Jets hype to chill the F out for a little bit. All right, let's go ahead and take our last break right there and come back on the other side and finish up with the Thursday narrative. That's next, Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Tis the season for football, Dolphins. Join your Miami Dolphins for our season kickoff party at Oasis on Saturday, September 9th, where fans can enjoy giveaways and a guest performance from Grammy-nominated DJ Audion. For more information, visit MiamiDolphins.com slash kickoff. Another new segment we're going to do on the podcast here every Thursday. I'm calling it the Thursday Narrative, a storyline that develops throughout the week that I think is worth pursuing and sharing with you guys. And this week, it kind of came about naturally. I'm hoping that's how it happens every single a week about quarterbacks coach Daryl Bevel. And I referenced the Jory Epstein piece on Yahoo from earlier in the week where she detailed coach's retina surgery he had, the recovery process, and how he essentially for more than a week was confined to lying face down on different, you know, massage tables and beds throughout the course of uh, his house. So sounds terrible to me, but to fill his time all he really did was watch practice tape. There's a great photo in the story of Coach lying face down on the edge of the bed with a tablet that he's watching back the plays from that day's work. In fact, Coach McDaniel talked about that on Wednesday. You want to talk about adversity being an opportunity. Uh, show, 
a great way to show people how much you care is um, lay down for a week and just the only thing you look at is uh, uh, practice footage um, endlessly. Uh, I, you know, there's a lot of things that I haven't really gone through. I can kind of venture to, I don't know, extrapolate what that would be like. A week like this, like, I mean, that, so... You know, what was cool was the team moment with that because that little story, which, you know, people have their own stuff to worry about when, you know, there's so many little stories like that where people um, are sacrificing things, going through things um, to uh, contribute to this team, whether it's coach or player. And I think uh, it, it wasn't lost on on the quarterbacks. You should have seen their, um, the first time we talked about it after he got the surgery, um, you should have seen their eyes light up when I was like, yeah, so um, this practice is all Bev's got going. He's going to watch it on his iPad for the next 24 hours. So just, uh, you know, live with that. And they were like, you know, we're not going to. And they, and they ended up having, collectively, all three of them had a really good practice um, that, that particular day um, that, that it occurred so I think that is a testament to who Bev is who the players are on this team um, and kind of how people are all all in with each other and when coach Bev was hired I put together a little research packet maybe the wrong phrase there but I went over his career and the entire Dolphins coaching staff uh, back in March of 2022 or maybe it was February when they hired him I can't remember but a few things from that story to me stood out was that Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, Russell Wilson, quite the triumvirate of quarterbacks to have developed their craft under one coach. And Bevel was there for all of that. In the story that I shared, or in that story that I wrote, I shared a link where Aaron Rodgers praised Bevel for correcting some of his basic fundamentals as a rookie quarterback. From that story, he said, I'm reading from the story now. In fact, Rodgers credited Bevel in part for helping him undergo a major fundamental change in the way he carried the football on his dropbacks. At the University of California, Rodgers was taught to hold the ball high near his ear hole of his helmet at all times. He needed to change that in the NFL. That process continued under Mike McCarthy, who was hired in 2006 to replace Sherman and under McCarthy's first quarterback coach, Tom Clements. At Cal, Rodgers said, quote, we were very robotic in the way we dropped and obviously the way I held the football. So being able to naturally on my own lower the ball to where I was throwing it at Butte College and in high school to learn to tie my feet with the route, time my feet, I should say, with the first was the first important lesson in the league, and I do appreciate Coach Bevel's help with that, end quote. And yesterday, I asked Tua Tungavailoa about the relationship between he and Daryl Bevel and how it has evolved in the second year together. You might recall Tua last year talking about how Coach had his family over to their residence for dinner and a movie, so I was just curious to find out how the relationship has blossomed further here in the second year together. It's been really good. It's been really good. Um, you know, he's someone that's very detail-oriented, he doesn't let anything, you know, slide. When you think it's like, ah, oh, he won't catch that, that's where you've gone wrong. Um, and he's helped, the, he's helped us tremendously. Um, he's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that probably shouldn't share, but, yeah, he, he helps us a lot. Coach McDaniel to mention, you know, the eye surgery he had and the impact of, you know, the meeting and showing him laying down. I just wanted to get your perspective <laughs> on all that. Yeah, I mean, that, that just shows you the dedication he has to the game. Um, you know, he always wants to be there for his guys. So we thought it was hilarious um, seeing that he 
he had to he had to be down with one eye covered. I mean, I, I couldn't I couldn't stay down like that. It's hard. I think that detail emphasis is so important and for anybody, really. It can be hard to stay hardwired into a task repeatedly for six days a week, really all day long. And hell, even I have some great people here that look after me and stay on top of me that consistently challenge me to develop new and exciting content ideas. And quite frankly, I think drive time right now is as good as it's ever been. And some of that guidance is a big reason why to just relate those two things together. Let's go back to Frank Smith. And you heard Coach or rather Tua, talk about Coach Bevel's attention to detail. It's the first thing that comes to mind when Frank Smith thinks about Coach Bevel and his impact he's had on him as a coach. You deal with guys who are just very, they go through it, and, you know, it's not like it's week nine, week 15, week one, all right, the first day you got here. He's just a very detailed guy who understands, has been a part of a lot of good football um, and coached a lot of great players. I mean, hell, what was it? Two weeks ago, we were joking about something, and then we pulled up the Saints-Vikings playoff game from 09, an NFC Championship game, because we are talking about Brett Favre and his ability and his just courage in the pocket. And it was like it flashes back, because then I got to New Orleans uh, right after that season, and then we opened with the Vikings to start that season in 10. And, you know, his wealth of experience is great. I mean, everything like I think we talked about before, it's perspective on who you work with. You know, if we all came from the same place, thought the same thing, had the same viewpoint, right, it'd be a pretty boring day. You know what I mean? We'd all just kind of go like, we good? When you deal with guys with perspective and, and um, you know, an expertise like he has, it's been awesome. And I think that's the great part of our staff is that the perspective from everyone. And it's not just quarterbacks that coaches had this impact on. Doug Baldwin, one of my favorite all-time wide receivers who won with details, knowledge, and film study because that's the route for most undrafted free agents, right? But when he retired, he tweeted a photo of he and Coach Bev and had the caption, don't forget the coaches. There will be good ones and there will be better ones. You will come to appreciate the great ones even if others don't, end quote. When he was in Seattle, Bev went up against Coach Fangio yearly in what, to me, was the best rivalry in the NFL maybe in the last decade, at least close to it. Here's Coach Fangio on Coach Bevel. Well, I mean, when I was with the Niners and um, and he was with the Seahawks, you know, we were probably, over that two, three-year stretch, the two best teams in the league. And uh, we had some really good battles. And um, we've talked about him a little bit here and there. But he's a really good coach. Uh, he's doing a great job with the quarterbacks here. Uh, always have had a lot of respect for him. Um, I think he has a good knowledge of what it takes to win in this league, not just to accumulate stats. And um, I always had a lot of respect. And now that I've got to know him, my respect was justified. And to put a bow on all of this from my uh, MiamiDolphins.com story from, I guess, 18 months ago, Bevel has overseen 10 top 10 offenses six times in his career, and I wrote that in before last season. And while Bev wasn't the OC here, I think it's pretty clear the impact he did have on this team. Another top 10 offense last year. So he's been an integral part of the development of offenses, but also some unique players like Percy Harvin, Jermaine Wiggins, Chester Taylor, guys that you know had multiple roles in offenses, and of course, countless others. And you can now add quarterback Tua Tungavailoa to his resume of curating increased production from a player's previous accomplishment. So there you go. That's the Thursday narrative. That is the Thursday podcast. Let's go ahead and get out of here. Tomorrow I'm going to introduce some new segments as well. I believe we're going to have a beat writer interview. I think David Faronis will join the podcast. Also going to do a weekly segment with Kyle Krabs from 
from Locked On Dolphins 5 on the Finns draft. We're going to talk college ball with Kyle Krabs. Until then, though, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on social at Wingfield NFL and the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and Juice and our post-game show on, uh, almost at 560, on 105.9 FM and also on the iHeart app and at WIOD, I believe that's the AM station. And of course, the YouTube channel for media availabilities and Dolphins today. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron, Daddy, Mr. Governor.